0: Send debt that is owed me and you have not paid it. Now, at Christmas time, we understand about debt, right? So, people go out and they buy a lot of presents and incur a lot of debt. You know, the credit cards run through, and now all of a sudden in January, they get this bill and they're like taken back. How am I gonna pay this bill? Here's what I can tell you you can't do you can't get like fake money from your Monopoly game and pay the bill. Right, so you you owe a debt that you have to pay, and there's only one currency they're going to accept. Well, the same thing is true in God's currency, God doesn't accept any payment other than Jesus's payment on your behalf. He came to be your substitute, He came to be your mediator. He is the only one, his, His payment for our debt is the only payment God will. Except that's why the good works versus bad works just doesn't make it, the curve doesn't make it because none of us measure up. And so, the Bible says that the wages then of sin, the payment of sin, is death. So, stop measuring yourself against others to determine your standing before God, it doesn't matter. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the title of this series was The Gift. What is the gift? The gift is Jesus. We need Jesus. We need him to be our king. We need him to be our high priest. We need him to be our suffering servant. Not just because we're going to die someday, but because we have to live day in and day out. We need all three roles of Christ activated in our lives and a lot of people are calling on Jesus' name for a lot of things these days, for peace and happiness and healing and power and uh, better relationships and freedom from debt or freedom from addictions. But none of these are what the Bible focuses on when we're told that we need Christ. We need Christ because we have a sin debt that we cannot pay. And so for God to display his love in the midst of this incredible debt that we owe to God that we could not possibly pay, God set the display of his love for the whole world to see. And it began on that first Christmas. It's interesting that all the gospel writers spend the bulk of their material, some half to two-thirds of their material, on the very last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And they they display God's love through three avenues which is what I want us to to focus on today as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. You know, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, right? While we still had this debt that we could not pay, he demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to be our suffering servant, Why is it so important? How does that display God's love? I think it does in three ways. Number one is through the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 26, it says in um, verse 36, Then Jesus, with his disciples, he took them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and you know, they're asleep. They make, could you guys not stay awake for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And the second time, my father, did as possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now notice that Jesus said his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The garden of Gethsemane, The way God displayed his love is through sacrifice. Jesus does not go to his death in defiance and bravery. In fact, it kind of takes you back. You know, if you ever watch movies like Braveheart and The Gladiator, and in the face of their death, it's like they pump their fists in the air and say, You know what? I'm not afraid of death. and, And whether I meet you now on the battlefield or in the afterlife, it doesn't matter. I'm coming after you kind of attitude. But that's not Jesus' attitude. All of a sudden, we've, we see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before because when he's facing you know, huge storms and, and the waves, I mean, he just speaks and it calms and there's peace. And, but yet here it says that he is, he is sorrowing. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, of death. That means he's deeply distressed and troubled. In fact, The Greek word here is is so distinct, it indicates the kind of feeling you would have if you came home one evening and found your family murdered and mutilated and hung up on a wall. That kind of distress, that kind of angst within your spirit, and when Jesus wrestles with God, we, we get a glimpse of the suffering that is to come he says to his disciples, "Guys, you know, please, please, you know, I, I'm in my great hour of need. Will you pray for me?" And they fall asleep, not once but twice. And he's in this great need, hour of need, and this angering or this uh, this angst in his spirit is because he asks the Father to remove the cup of suffering just before coming to the Garden of Gethsemane. You recall they spent the time together celebrating passover in the third cup in the passover out of four cups that were used in the passover meal it was the cup of suffering the cup of which jesus says i will drink of this cup and i'm going to drink all of it because this cup is representing the shedding of my blood which is signaling and signifying that the new covenant of god has come for humanity And this cup represented God's wrath. And God's wrath is not something to be toiled with. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with the sorrow of the point of death, which means what Jesus saw as he's praying and drops of blood or dropping down as he's praying, it's almost like what he saw in this cup and what was about to come upon him on behalf of humanity as his mind perhaps went back to Isaiah chapter 53 and he saw, it was like it almost killed him right there on the spot. I think this is like where the father began withdrawing his presence and withdrawing his fellowship, something that Jesus had never known in his entire existence. Listen, Jesus would endure every category of suffering on our behalf. And this is on your outline, the depth of love, the depth of love that somebody has for you is determined by the level of sacrifice they're willing to make on your behalf. Let me tell you what, you love another person, you'll sacrifice anything for them. If that love is deep, and the deeper the love, the greater the sacrifice. And so Jesus suffered, and he suffered very distinctly. Jesus made it very clear, not just by his words, but by his actions, how deeply he loves you by what he sacrificed. He experienced spiritual suffering, satanic attack. His own disciple, Judas, who sat at the Passover table, was like the Vegas dealer who was putting, you know, it's filling his pockets with the pot, and Judas would pretend that he was a friend of Jesus, but the entire time he'd been stealing money from Jesus's ministry over a long extended period of time, and, and by this time, when they sat down to eat Passover meal, Judas has already made the agreement that he's handing Jesus over to the authorities, and he did so for 30 pieces of silver. Listen, when Satan wants to get his job done, he uses people just like God does. Has Satan ever attacked you through the agent of another person? He's attacked Jesus also, he understands. Then there was the mental suffering, the stress. Jesus is so distressed by what awaited him, his impending crucifixion, that he's sweating drops of blood, and Jesus was literally at the limit of his mind and what his mind and body could endure, and that was only the beginning of his bleeding, the shedding of blood, And so have you ever been so stressed to the point where your heart was racing and your mind is blurred and your hands shook and your breath trembled and while your tears flowed as you laid there in the middle of a night thinking about what it is you're facing in the future? If you've ever been there, if you've ever done that, and probably you have in the past and maybe not right now in the present or into the future, just know this, your high priest has also experienced that. He understands. And then there's the emotional suffering, the anguish. You sense the anguish when he prays. Father, if you're willing to... Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And Jesus is dreading what is coming, the cup, the awful, horrible, dreadful cup, the full strength of God's wrath. There are 20 words in the Bible that try to describe the essence of God's wrath over 600 times. We're talking about his undiluted, undiverted, undefiled justice of God being poured out onto a soul. And that's where what Jesus was facing. He knew this wrath was coming upon him, the full weight of God's wrath, nothing being held back. Have you ever struggled to accept God's path for you because you knew that that path was going to involve shame? It was going to involve suffering? It was going to involve pain? If you have, Jesus has also. And then there's relational suffering, the abandonment, the betrayal by his own disciples. Jesus asked his disciples, whom he invested his life in for the past three years, one favor, stay awake and pray. (laughs) And what did they do? They didn't. They, They fell asleep both times. They abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. And to make matters worse, this would not be the last time they abandoned him. You'll recall that when Jesus is arrested, Peter's in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. He is confronted by a young girl about being a follower of Jesus, and he denies him three times. And on the third time, he looked up, and he locked eyes with Christ. Jesus heard, he predicted it, and he heard that abandonment. Even at the cross, only one disciple actually showed up, and that was John. And ultimately, Jesus suffered the epitome of a faithless friend as Judas planned to betray him. Jesus had loved Judas. He served him. He taught him. He fed him. He cared for them. He even washed Judas' feet on the night of the Passover, a, an event that was usually mandated by the lowliest of the servant in the household because it was like you were the slave, and this is the guest of honor, and you will bow and wash. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Judas, knowing that just in a few hours, he's going to betray him with a kiss, the kiss of death. And yet Judas shows up with this, in the garden with these soldiers. Jesus never failed Judas. Jesus never harmed Judas. Ne- Jesus never betrayed Judas, but Judas certainly betrayed him. And have, have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Have you ever been betrayed by those you trusted the most? Well, so has Jesus. You know the pain of that. You know how that feels. Public suffering, the slander. Jesus was wrongly arrested. He was walked all throughout the night. He, he encountered six mock trials. They were a sham. They weren't even legal. And he endured the trials, and there was no investigation because the entire point of the trials were to get him to execution. Not to find out what the truth is. So one false witness came after another false witness. They are contradicting one another. It's almost like, you know, if we just sling enough mud at him, something's going to stick eventually. And so Jesus encounters all of this, this discord. And, you know, the testimony contradicting it's, one another is unlike the truth that always sings in harmony. Rather than discord, discord, <laughs> discordant liars who do not make a good choir No one cared because murder was on their minds. It was murder by a mob. Have you ever had somebody lie about you and destroy your reputation? You ever had somebody slander you, question your motives in front of others, and got them to question your motives, to question who you are, your reputation? Then Jesus, your high priest he understands. Been there and done that. And then there was the physical suffering, the beatings. Angry, cowardly men surrounded Jesus once he was in custody. They covered his eyes. They beat him mercifully. I mean, mercilessly. They, the mob mentality was in full swing. One man after another just kept punching him in the face, punching him in the face, And In fact, the prophet Isaiah said that his face was so disfigured by this point that you could could barely tell it was a human being. And so here's Jesus beaten, hungry, dehydrated, exhausted, and after a stressful, sleepless night, and every writer says, and then they scourged him. And scourging or flogging was the most barbarous and brutal act, and most people died from that process. And so Jesus would have had his arms stretched out to stretch out the skin, and then with the catenae tails, the one doing the scourging is the one who slings it across his back, the metal ball with, with um, like hooks in it that would just like wrap around the body, and then it would fling it back, and ribs would get ripped out, organs would be exposed, internal bleeding would happen, and again, most people died from this experience. It was an excruciatingly painful event. And so, you ask yourself the question, has your body ever been beaten? Maybe you've been beaten by an angry spouse or a violent father, an angry boyfriend, a cruel bully. Maybe you have been molested. Maybe you have been wrecked. Your body has been violated. Jesus, your high priest, he, under, he understands. and then there was personal suffering, the shame, the mockery of his title, king of the king, king of kings, and the thro- the court the um, soldiers take the crown of thorns and thrust it upon his head while they're people are laughing. They force him to carry his cross down the streets of Jerusalem. He can't make it very far, and Simeon of Serene is chosen to carry it the rest of the way, and once they finally arrive at this place of execution, uh, the Bible says that they began pulling out the beard of Jesus, which would was a huge disrespect to a Jewish man. They spit on him. They mocked him while his family and friends looked on, including his horrified mother. Have you been publicly shamed well so has Jesus and then there's just the total suffering of the crucifixion itself which we don't have time to get into all of that but here's the carpenter's son who was used to driving nails into wood would now have nails driven through the most sensitive parts of his body through the wrist and his feet as he's nailed to this cross have you ever endured physical pain from injury ailment sickness assault Jesus understands We do not worship a Savior who just kind of sat back in the distance and looked at the mess of humanity and decided, you know what, it's just a little too messy, it's going to be a little too violent, it's going to be a little too sacrificial for me to exit my throne out of heaven and enter into the realm of humanity and to die on the behalf of my creation. He is our high priest. He empathizes with us. He conquered what we face, satanic attack, abandonment, betrayal, stress, struggle, poverty, slander, beating, shame, pain, you, you name it all. You see, the depth of his love for you is displayed through the level of his sacrifice. I don't know of anyone else who's ever come even close to that level of sacrifice in your life. Which brings us to the cross, which is the word substitution. He's our mediator, our representative, our go-between. And here's the uniqueness about Jesus. You see, if you're going to have a mediator who understands, a substitute who gets it, you need someone who, who can think like God and feel like God. And you need someone who can think like a human and feel like a human, in other words, a God man. And that was Jesus. He came into the world to be 100% human, but he was still 100% God. And even though he set his God card aside for the most part, he experienced everything as a human, as you and I experience it. So that as our mediator, as our high priest, as our representative, He knew exactly what it meant to be human. It wasn't like just a drive-by kind of thing like what politicians do when they drive into a factory and take a little Photoshop like they're, you know, bolting something on an engine and you know they're not and they've never done it before and it looks awkward and looks stupid. But no, Jesus, he dove into, into the very muck and mire of humanity and the sin of humanity. And God in this broken mess of a world, decided to address the mess. And so the cross is what God taught about substitution. Just as Adam was the representative of humanity, the second Adam, Jesus also became our representative. He became our substitute. He is the only means by which God can allow his wrath, his justice to flow out upon humanity's sin debt, but at the same time be merciful and gracious towards those who are the sinners. So when a substitute was given, as it is depicted in all throughout the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament, is that the people would bring their substitute, an animal, it would be offered as a sacrifice on their behalf to cover their sins so that God's wrath would not be unleashed upon them. And so this went on for years and years until the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus himself, came as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, who would be the scapegoat, and who would be the substitute for humanity so that through his death, the wrath of God could be poured out, justice is served, the payment has been made, and now God can offer to humanity his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and eternal life. Every time we partake in the Lord's table, it is a reminder to us that we are here because of our substitute. The penalty of death comes, but it's not paid by the sinner, it is paid by the substitute. And it's remarkable. When Jesus was on the cross, he was offered mix, you know, wine mixed with myrrh to to deaden the pain, and he refused it. He says, "No, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to experience it all. I'm going to I'm going to go to the nth degree." And so Jesus is our substitute. And because he is our substitute, God is now able to make the great exchange. When I put my hope, my faith, and my trust in Jesus alone, see, the, this the cross was just like um, it, it, it's a depiction of the Passover story about you know how God passed over those. Jewish people who sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost while they were in Egypt. And the reason why God did not take their firstborn is because God saw the blood of the lamb and he passed over them. He didn't pass over them because they were better than somebody else. He didn't pass over them because they deserved it. He didn't pass over because they gave some kind of monetary gift. He passed over them because the blood of the lamb had been applied to their doorposts. Just as when you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone as your Savior and Lord. God has now credited your account with the blood of Jesus so that now the wrath of God will pass over you. And so you can claim, therefore, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because I earned it, not because I'm good enough, not because I'm better than somebody else, not because I give money to the church, not because I pray, not because I read my Bible, none of those things. The only reason God can accept me into his presence is because Jesus has paid my debt. That's why you need Christ. That's why he came. He is the only payment that God will accept the sins of humanity, which brings us to resurrection and security. The Bible says that one of the greatest fear that humanity has is the fear of death. We, We are so fearful of death. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to talk about death. But when you go to somebody's funeral, you are faced with death. We try to camouflage death. We try to beautify death. But death is ugly. Death is painful. Death is grievous. And one of the reasons why God had his people watch The sacrifice of animals is so that they would get it. That, listen, this sin debt that you owe me, it is painful, it is grievous, it is hideous. There's nothing pleasurable about it. There's nothing beautiful about it. It is a debt that must be paid. And I understand that if it's going to get paid, I'm the one who's going to have to do it. And so God himself stepped out of heaven into the world, clothed himself in humanity so that you and I could experience new life and new freedom. And so as Jesus' body was placed into the grave, it was on the third day that Jesus resurrected, and he ascended back into heaven where he sits upon his throne, and there he is our mediator, our high priest, our intercessor, and he has lavished us with every spiritual gift that we can have in Christ Because he wants us to be secure. Even death, Paul said, no death. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because, listen, when you're in Christ, Jesus' resurrection became your resurrection. So when you start aging, and you know you're aging, and you know you're stair-stepping closer and closer towards death, listen, here's how humanity processes this thing of dying. you like... You know, women, as they get older and things begin to change, they Botox their face and wear clothes they shouldn't wear that's inappropriate because, you know, it's for younger women. And guys, they're no better. They go out and buy their, you know, their uh, red convertible and, button, you know, take their shirts and button them down to their navel. Ain't nobody want to see that. Uh, and, and so, but why? Because people are, they're trying to hang on to their youth because they know that their life is marching towards an ultimate end called death. But as followers of Jesus being in Christ, we do not fear death because death from the physical body just simply ushers me into the presence of Christ. Why would I fear that? Now, I know that there might be some of those who are left behind. My family hopefully will, you know, mourn that loss of me leaving this world. But my goodness, saints of God, I mean, our loved ones who are in Jesus are in heaven. Why? Because Jesus became our substitute. He became their substitute, and therefore, it guaranteed their passage into Christ's presence. And so, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, which simply means that God cannot condemn you for what He's already paid for through Jesus. So, what's our response? How should we respond to this? Well, the wise men, when they came to the place of where Jesus was residing, they began rejoicing. That's one of the things that Matthew says. They started rejoicing. Should we not rejoice? Should we not celebrate? Absolutely. When it comes to Christmas time, we sing songs like joy to the world and oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. I mean, the day that I found Jesus was the most joyful day in my life and has never ceased to be Not the most joyful day in my life. I love my wife and I rejoice in our marriage and we've been married a long, long time. But I'll tell you what, when Jesus saved my soul, it is something that I never got over and I pray I never get over it. Nobody ever had to call me and beg me to church. Nobody ever had had to call me and say, you ought to be doing this, this. No, there was just a fire in my heart, a fire in my bosom that says, you know what? This Jesus who went to this level of sacrifice for me, who showed and demonstrated that kind of love for me that I've never experienced from anyone else in my life, not even my own mother, my goodness, why in the world would I not rejoice over that? And to know that when I draw my last breath, I'm entering into his presence, not for a temporary stay, but for an eternal stay, we ought to rejoice. Every Sunday, we ought to rejoice. We ought to be loud, and we ought to be bold, and we ought to be courageous. And we worship. That's the second thing they did. They worshiped. These dignified travelers became undignified, and they bowed before Jesus. That word uh, proskuneo, the word used for for worship there, it's like, it's a word that is reserved to worshiping God himself. And so that act of worship, it is the giving of my life. It is total surrender over to Jesus. And so Jesus himself, he challenged us. He says, listen, if you want to be disciples of mine, take up your cross daily and follow me. Not take up your, not, you know, Pray a prayer and live however you want. Pray a prayer and do whatever you want. Pray a prayer and just come around me once in a while. No, he said daily I want you to surrender afresh and anew. I want you to lay your body on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto me. I want you to surrender daily and listen to me. I want to set your feet that day on the path that's going to lead you to the best destination. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's going to speak to your heart and who's going to unfold my word for you so that when you get in those periods of your life that you're experiencing pain and trials and you have decisions to make and you don't know which way to go or what to decide or which way to travel. Jesus Holy Spirit. He helps us. He is our travel guide. And then there was the giving of their gifts. It was costly. The Bible says that Jesus is the first fruit of of the resurrection in other words what God gave us through Jesus was his absolute best if Jesus was the first fruits of, our re- of the resurrection and we know that we're in Christ and one day we too will be resurrected and be given new bodies that first fruit word is used Both Old and New Testament to say what God desires from us is our first fruits, is our best. Why would I not give Jesus my best when He gave His best for me? I can't even begin to match His level of sacrifice for me, but I can give Him my first fruits first fruits of my money, my time, my talents, everything I have. Is ultimately His. I brought nothing in this world and I ain't taking nothing out. But what I do have that's eternal is Jesus. Why would I not give Him my absolute best? So I want you to take your cup as we celebrate the Lord's table. It's a reminder to us that Jesus came and adorned himself with a human body as represented through the bread. In order for God to shed blood, and the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Why blood? Because blood is, is life. You drain your blood out of your body, you die. Among other things. And so it was God's means of cleansing us of our sin and marking our sin debt with God has paid in full through Jesus. So we celebrate Christmas when Jesus left heaven and came to earth and adorned himself in that human body. And Jesus said on that night of celebrating with his disciples every time you eat of this, you remember me, the depth of my love for you. And I displayed the depth of that love by taking on a human body and I became your sacrifice I became your substitute I am the one who gives you security above all things eat it in remembrance of me likewise he took that cup that third cup the cup of suffering the cup of God's wrath and reminded them that as he shed his blood and provided for the forgiveness not the covering of sin. But the absolute forgiveness of sin, the wiping away of sin, the pay in, payment in full of sin, he would do so by the shedding of his blood. And this would be the sign and the seal of the new covenant. That humanity, for those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will enter into this covenant relationship. and God will adopt you into his family. He will make you a citizen in his kingdom. He will transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the his kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved son that you're now sealed by the blood of Jesus, the wrath of God will always pass over you because of the blood of the lamb and every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ and God says I'm going to make a down payment in your life, I'm going to seal you under the day of redemption so that you have security that you cannot lose your salvation, I'm going to dwell you with my Holy Spirit who's going to empower you for daily living and so we drink in remembrance of him.